So this morning we're reading from 1 John, chapter 2, verses 28, and then moving on to uh, chapter 3, ending at verse 24. So that's 1 John, chapter 2, starting at verse 28. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has, has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will assure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of 
his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commands us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the Spirit he has given us. Amen. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Let me turn the microphone on. Apologies there. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food from your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Amen. Well, our connection question weeded out a couple of um, watch stories uh, from our, my discussion over here, and Rainey mentioned it also. Now, I don't mind a good watch, and I've heard just this week that there are a number of people in this church that, um, well, let's just say they like their watches also. My father was a watchmaker, so I grew up with a watch. When my wrist was only about that diameter, I had a, you know, a full-size watch hanging off it because my dad says, here, you can have this and play with this. Now, uh, just a few years ago, my family and I uh, went over to China. Lovely family picture, isn't that? Ah, oh, beautiful. Um, and, uh, of course, China is the mecca of manufacturing uh, back then. Sorry, this was 15 years ago. Um, and uh, just, just sort of so that you recognise who I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, you could, my wife looks exactly the same, beautiful as ever. Oh, and happy Mother's Day, by the way. I should have said that earlier. But anyway, uh, we were over there in China. Now, I don't know if I had written all over my face, I don't mind a good watch, but it seemed that on every street corner there were people grabbing me and trying to sell me a watch. Now, I figured out after that we were there for a little time, we were over visiting our daughter who was studying there, uh, I figured out that you really have to be cold-headed and hard-hearted almost, disinterested with these folks that try to sell you these watches. Uh, that's how you sort of get through. And so here's a picture of me in the middle of some negotiations. And um, you can tell it was pretty difficult that day. And oh, oh, by the way, there were two other ladies on the other side that were trying to sell me watches as well. It was a tug of war uh, team. It was a hard day at the office that day, I can tell you. Now, in the end, I thought, look, I do want to buy something that's a little top shelf. I don't want to, yeah. I want, a, I want a Rolex. So I did, I bought a Rolex for $2.50. And I don't mean $250, I mean $2.50. Well, that's what it seemed like. And it's still working. There it is. I've, I've brought it today. Now, my wife at the time said, why do you need another watch, Cole? And I said, well, I'm going to use it for a sermon illustration one day. And uh, <laughs> here I am, 15 years later, it's payback time. This watch is, and it's still working. Mind you, I did, this is actually a photograph of the watch I took the other night. In honour of today's talk, I glued the crown back on the, the, the face of the watch uh, with, 
with proper glue. I had it stuck there with blue tack for about three years and that fell off again. So I've got some super glue out and some very delicate tools and my father's watch glass and I glued it back on and it looks fantastic. And it's got the word precision there, which makes it look really authentic. And the Swiss made underneath just touches, it's sort of crowning jewel, isn't it, really? And on the back, well, you can tell it's a Rolex because it says it is. And there's the band as well. It's a marvellous watch. And, and actually, it does still work. Mind you, if the sermon goes too long today, I'm blaming the watch. But <laughs> Now, you can spend a lot of money on watches. And people do. And... Uh, and you can spend a, not much on a watch. Now, the thing is, how do you know if it is a fake or not? Now, if you're a watchmaker like my dad was, then you'd be able to easily spot it. Uh, maybe just take the back off, have a look at it, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that's a fake. You know, that's, that's, that's not the real thing. But telling the real from the counterfeit in this case is quite significant because you could be getting taken to the cleaners quite easily. Now, John... The Apostle John is writing to a situation where people were around the church and who were in the church, who were making big claims of having the anointing, of, of, of knowing things far above and, and, and far greater than anyone else. And they were in the church, but they were counterfeits. They were, as John wrote in 2 verse 19, those that were in and with us, but went out from us, showing that they were never one of us. It's not like they went to another church. They left. They left Jesus. They left God's people. They left the gospel. They went. They're gone. As much as we can understand, they were people called Gnostics uh, from the Greek. Of course, from the Greek. Everything comes from the Greek, doesn't it? Uh, gnosis, meaning knowledge. Uh, we, 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 have, we use the word gnosis all the time. Diagnosis, for example, just one word off the top of my head. Ac acknowledge, there's another word with gnosis in it as well. Anyway, we won't go into all of that. But they were people who, who loved knowledge, who ran after knowledge, who said that they had knowledge, the knowledge of God. Now, the Greek thinkers of the day, and the Gnostics were heavily influenced by them, had the idea that the spiritual life is up here. That's what mattered. That's the important thing, the spiritual life. And you had the earthly existence, the body. That didn't matter because the body was evil. So they had this spirit and body divide. It didn't matter what you did in the body because it's evil anyway, but your spirit is what was important. So this led to an impurity of life and it led to a weakening of Jesus because, of course, how could Jesus, if he is divine, if he is God, if he is of the spirit, how could he inhabit a body? It just didn't work for them. So they had a low view of Jesus. They had a low view of sin because it didn't matter what you did in the body. It didn't matter uh, how you treated other people because that was something that you did in the body. And they had a low view of Jesus because Jesus was not divine. Jesus was not God in the flesh. And so that's why John is going over and over and over all of these things as he, as he writes his letter to them. They had a low view of the Bible because why? Because they had the knowledge. They had it. 
They knew it, you see. They had a low view of the Bible. But they had a very high view of themselves because they were the ones that, that had this knowledge. They were the ones who drank of the divine and knew something that others didn't know. And they had a, a high view of their thinking and of their insights. Listen to Bishop Irenaeus of the second century writing of the likes of these Gnostics. They assert that they themselves know more than others and that they alone have drunk in the greatness of the knowledge of the power which is unspeakable. They also maintain that they have attained to a height of all power and therefore are free in every respect to act as they please having no fear in anything. They lead lives of unrestrained indulgence. They, pra- they preached and they practiced what we would call license. Do as you please. Live as you wish. A great error, causing debate among God's people, disorder among God's people, disarray among God's people and disobedience among God's people and departure because many of God's people uh, were leaving also. But although these false teachers had gone to verse 19 showing that they had never belonged, they had left their mark. They'd done their damage. Their teaching was around still in the church. And so John writes to expose the counterfeit and also to encourage and shine up the genuine. Now, there are two ways to spot a counterfeit, in my humble opinion. One is to study the genuine over and over, pull the genuine apart, see what it is. If it's a watch, see what sort of jewels are in it for the bearings so that things work smoothly, what sort of material it's made out of, what sort of markings that the manufacturer might have stamped on it. Understand the genuine in all of its detail. That's one way of of understanding to pick the the fake. And the other one is to to look at the fakes, to understand the errors of the fakes, the, the shortcuts in manufacturing, if you like. And so John, that's really what he's doing. He's polishing up the genuine so that we could understand what it is. And he's going over and over, I've got my polishing cloth here, he's going over and over and over the genuine article through his letter of 1 John, remaining in Jesus, obeying Jesus, following Jesus, loving God's people, holding to the truth. That's what Jesus is like. Holding on and remaining in the Father. Loving God's people, obeying the Father, holding to the truth. So really, John is shining up the life and the love of Christ that we might see it, that we might see the genuine. And then there's a challenge to us as well, that that we would allow Jesus, the, the master polisher, to polish up our lives so that we would reflect his life and his love, that we would hold to the truth as he did, that we would love as he did, that we would obey the Father, that we would obey him as as he calls us to, that we would love God's people as he did. 
And so we have these four areas of remaining and enduring, of obeying and of loving and of holding to the truth. And what we're seeing here is Jesus, so that we can spot the counterfeits and so that we would have reassurance also that we are God's children and that God has begun his renovating and polishing work in our lives. And notice I use the word reassurance because these are not tests for us to get into the kingdom of God. We keep on saying this. These are evidences that we are in the kingdom. These are evidences that God is at work in our lives to change us. And these areas are there to reassure us that we are God's children, not to assure us, our assurance that we are God's children comes from the fact that God has set his love upon us, chapter 3, verse 1. Our assurance that we are God's children comes from not our performance in these areas, but Christ's performance for us in what I might call the John 3.16s of John. John 3.16, our assurance comes from our trust in Christ. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and not perish. 1 John 3.16, Christ laid down his life for us. That's our assurance. That's our foundation. It's Christ and not these areas. But we are to allow the polishing cloth of Christ to go over our lives so that we would reflect him more. Now, the more we resist the polishing work of Christ in us and on us, the more we resist that, the polishing cloth will become more like sandpaper, which will distort the image, which the image won't of Christ won't be clearly seen. The image will be tarnished and damaged. And so the challenge is to allow God to do his work, to allow Christ to do his work, remembering that none of us are perfect. None of us are like Jesus yet. How do we know that? Our text says it. Our text says that we shall be like Jesus when he appears. Chapter 3, verse 2 of 1 John. So none of us are there yet. Christ has got a, long, a lot of work to do in me, and maybe he has in you. So we're here showing the genuine article. In our remaining moments, let's just look at these. Firstly, verse 28, remaining in Jesus. Now this is just guarding against the idea that well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really need Jesus anymore. I don't really need to hold on to him anymore. I don't need to trust him anymore. And, I, and I'm a Christian, but I don't really need God's people. I can go it alone. But here we are told to remain in him. Now, the people in 2 verse 19 left the church showing that they never belonged. So belonging to God's people is significant. And we are to remain in Jesus and with his people. Just like the, the branch is connected to the vine, we need to continue to remain. And remaining in Jesus, we will be confident and not ashamed when he returns. That's what 2 verse 28 says. 
If we are with Jesus, if we've come to Jesus who is holy, if we're trusting Jesus who laid down his life for us, then when Jesus appears, we will be confident to meet him because there will be a warm and loving welcome. He will say, welcome. But if we've not remained in him, if we're not in him, he may well say, I never knew you. And what a terrible lot of words that would be for us to hear. So we need to remain in Jesus. This also guards against the idea of, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I'm right with God. I made a decision when I was a teenager to follow Jesus. But I'm living as I please now. I'm not really with him now. But I... And this guards us against that sort of way of thinking. There are plenty of people who've made decisions for Jesus, but who've left and haven't remained in Jesus. I remember going to visit a guy one time that was involved in a, a church that I was at, that we were at many years ago now. He decided one day, I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving the church. I never knew her, I, never, I mean, I never loved her, he said to me, and I'm leaving. And I went round to visit him, to talk to him. And I asked him about Jesus and he says, oh, I've just parked Jesus to one side at the moment. And I'd just like to say, it's so easy for us to think like this. To park Jesus to one side and then to start living for myself. And John is writing to guard us against this. Remain in him. So that when he appears, we will be confident and not ashamed. And remember to hold on to Christ, trusting in him. The three sixteens. Whoever believes has eternal life. And 1 John 3.16, remember Christ laid his life down for us. Well, the polishing cloth uh, moves on from remaining to obeying. Uh, if we continue in Jesus who is righteous, then we will do what is right. That's what the text says. And in 2 verse 29 to 3.10, this idea of, of, of living lives that, of purity, of living lives that reflect the righteousness of Christ, one who's been born of God, 2 verse 29, does what is right. 3 verse 3 he who has this hope, the hope of Christ's return and us being like him, he who has this hope purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Now we've got to remember again that none of us are like Christ fully yet. We're still a work in progress. But God has called us out of darkness into his light. He's given us new birth. He's given us his spirit. He's made us righteous in his sight. And so as we continue to progress to that day where Christ returns and we will be like him, so we now start to reflect his likeness and allow Christ to work in our lives to do that. Our motivation and our strength for this change of life does not come, does not come from, from us trying to be a better person or to pull our socks up. 
But our motivation and strength comes from our status of being God's children. 3 verse 1. How great the love of the Father who's lavished upon us that we could be called his children. Our status is there as God's children. We will be like Christ. He lives in us and that we know Jesus who has come to deal with our sin. 3 verse 6. Our motivation to live for him is, comes from, from his work in us that we would be born of God, 3 verse 9, that God's seed in, in, is in us, 3 verse 9, that we are a child of God and not of the devil, 3 verse 10, and that we have his spirit in us, 3 verse 24. It's God at work in us that does the renovating work. It's God who is at work in us to polish our lives that we would reflect the image and likeness of Christ. Are we allowing God to do his transforming work? That's what Christ came to do, to destroy the works of the devil, which is in our passage, and to make us his children, transformed and changed to be like him. This is in keeping with the prophecies of the Old Testament, that God would one day do a great work in his people, a, a, an inner work, a heart transplant, taking our heart of stone that was hardened to him and replacing it with a heart of flesh that loved him and that served him. And Christ has come, verse 5, that he would take away our sins and he does that on the cross He's come to destroy the devil's work, verse 8. He is the promised crusher of the serpent that was mentioned in Genesis 3. Christ has come to rescue us from living in lawlessness and in rebellion against God. Those verses are mentioned numbers of times, verse 4, 6, 7 and 9. Christ has come to rescue us from this that we would not continue living in persistent sin now we will still struggle with sin but we won't continue in sin as we did before we came to christ we're not fully like jesus yet yet he has changed us and that's the the conundrum here that's the the difficulty in in wrestling with these verses you know, what, how do we take those verses? Anyone who is born of God cannot sin. Well, the idea is in the original that it's not continuing in it, going on in it. So it's a challenge, isn't it, to us? Who say, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but I can live as I please. No, we can't. Because the transforming work of Christ, his seed in us, his spirit in us, us in him, he in us, is a life-changing relationship. And in a way, these words, those who are born of God will not continue in rebellion, in sin, is, is just echoing the words of Christ. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It is action that is an evidence 
of the life that we profess. So, friends, allow the polishing cloth of God to shine us up that the life of Christ might be seen in us. And remember the John 3.16s. It is our relationship with God through trust in Christ who saves and rescues us. Christ who laid down his life for our sins. And chapter 3 verse 10 gives us another reassurance that we would love our brothers and sisters. So the polishing cloth goes over from remaining to obeying to loving. And, and you think, haven't we heard all this before? And, and I'm saying, yes, we have. But what John is doing, he's polishing up Christ so, so that we would see him more clearly. So that we would understand the genuine and so that we would desire to be more like him and allow him to do his work in us to reflect his glory. Because next week, guess what? We'll hear similar things again. Why? Because we need it. Because we're too quick to think, oh, I made a decision, but I can live like this. We're too quick to think, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but I can treat you however I wish. Oh, yes, I'm a believer, but I can speak to you however I wish. We're too quick to think like this. We're too quick to think, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't really need to read my Bible. We're too quick to think, oh, yes, I'm a believer, but I don't need to go to church. We're too quick to think that. It's far too easy for us to think. That's why the polishing cloth goes over and over and backward and forward, here, 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 another one over there, back over there. This is very clean up here now, I can tell you that. <laughs> Imagine what if I brought the Glen 20 up here. It would have, the, the polishing job would have been finished. Well, I would have been anyway. I'm sick of the stuff. Anyway, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It's a fine product. Very good. Make sure you get the genuine one. Okay. So the polishing cloth goes over to that of loving God's people, loving Jesus as he loved us. And this guards us against the idea that, you know, I'm a Christian, but I can treat you however I please. This, brothers and sisters, is something that we need to allow God to work on in our lives. I know he needs to work on it in my life. As I've already said, it's just too easy for us to think, oh yes, I can, I can treat you however I wish. We can't. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ laid down his life for you, that you would be forgiven, and I treat you as if you don't matter, how is that possible? God's people ought to be a demonstration of the love of God that he has shown to us. I was at a funeral of a mother of a friend uh, some years ago now, and, and one of the siblings got up and said of her mother... Mum struggled to show us love because it was never shown to her. That is a gutsy thing to say at your mother's funeral. But it was the truth. Brothers and sisters, we've been shown a love that is beyond all measure. We cannot understand its fullness. We will never get its magnitude that God would send his son to die 
in my place and in your place. It is the love of God that John writes that God has lavished upon us. He has poured it out upon us. And we of all people in our community should understand what true love is. Christ laying down his life for us. We are dearly loved children of God. We ought to love as he loved. Not like Cain, he says, who was from the early chapters of the Bible, who murdered his own brother, who got in his way, verse 12, showing actually that he came from the evil one. It's biting words, isn't it? In fact, John writes 3 verse 15, anyone, anyone who hates his brother or sister is effectively a murderer and does not have eternal life in them. Hatred is of the evil one. Verse 11, but those who've passed from death to life, verse 14, well, we love the brothers and sisters. We will love differently. We will act differently. And this love of the brothers and sisters, verse 14, is another reassurance that we are God's children. For we know, he writes, that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Well, that's guarding us against the idea of, well, I can treat you as I please. It's guarding us against the idea of, I don't need you as my brothers and sisters. It's guarding us against the idea of, oh, well, I don't need to go to church today because, well, you know, I'd much prefer to stay at home in my pyjamas. I'm not saying that anyone online is doing that. But uh, it is nice, isn't it? It's easy. Well, it's real practical, gutsy love, isn't it? Verse 17. Anyone who has material possessions and sees his brother and sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words or speech but with actions and truth. Actions, not just speech, and truth and it will cost us something to do that it cost christ a lot did it not to love in action and not just word and he ends here with the word going back to this idea of truth holding on to the truth let us love not in speech or actions but let us love in truth. And this truth is verse 23, a belief in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who, verse 16, laid down his life for us to bring us into new relationship with him. It's a truth that transforms Brothers and sisters, these verses as we've been reading them, and uh, thanks Adele for reading them, these verses, I don't know know, how you've felt about them, but maybe we feel condemned as we look at the life of Christ in these verses. But, verse 19, 
belonging to the truth, our hearts are at rest in God's presence. So that, verse 20, even when our consciences remind us that we're not yet perfect, we know that God knows everything and he is greater than any of our heart's condemnation. His forgiveness is bigger than any of our inadequacy. So we ought to take comfort that God's grace is bigger than any of our sin and live, love and obey and hold on to the truth who, have so, who has so loved us. John ends. This is the command. He ends. I reckon he sort of ends this, going out, getting that polishing cloth and going over everything again. He ends by saying, this is the command. Think obedience. To believe. There's truth. In the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another. There's love. As he commanded us. There's obedience again. To live and love and obey and follow and remain. And those who obey his commands, verse 24, live in him and he in them. And there is remaining. Today we've taken the polishing cloth out and we've had a look at the genuine article. The genuine article is Christ so that we would spot the counterfeits. It's not just what people say from the front or preachers. And we need to have our antenna up. How is their life? As preachers, we are to watch our life and doctrine closely, both living and teaching. And this probably would be a good thing for our nominators to keep in mind as they consider somebody for this parish. Not just, oh, are they faithful to the word of God people? Yes, that is very important but John goes over a few other areas does he not obedience to God a faithfulness and holiness of life a love for God's people and enduring with God and his people as well as holding on to the truth so don't just listen without discernment assess the preacher and if you see anything in me that you think is a little sus him or any other preacher or leader in the church, even a brother or sister, we must keep ourselves accountable because we need to be more like Jesus so that when he appears we will not be ashamed. But friends, the assumption in this book that John's readers are born of God and that God is in them by his spirit. But they come with challenge. And it's a weighty challenge that we would be concerned about sin and disobedience. We would be concerned about a coolness towards Christ and his word, a lovelessness to God and his people. And if you're not sure that because of sin in your life that you are not right with God, then you need to come and, and talk with me or with one of the other leaders in the church, so that we can point you not to, oh, this is how you lead, this is seven steps to a better life. No, we point you to Jesus, who is the atoning sacrifice 
for our sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hold to your truth and to Jesus, our King and Saviour. Help us to so understand our family status that we are a child of you, a child of God. Yes, I am. And that our future is to be like Christ when he returns. Help us, Lord, to live lives which please you, that the life of Christ might be seen in us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.